Welcome back to the You Podcast, a podcast all about the experiences and uh, things that you do as a kid that maybe have shaped what you do now as an adult. I am your host, Adrian Brown Reasoner. I know we've had uh, quite a bit of a break, but excited to be back with some new episodes, new special guests, and some other new things along the way, so stay tuned. Um, and really happy to kick things off with. Um, with a conversation with one of my favorite people, I'll be honest, a musician, singer, songwriter, drummer, and just all around fabulous person, Dan Rickabus. Um, and you can hear a little bit of his music here underneath all of this and as we head into uh, our discussion, but you definitely want to check out um, everything that he's got going on at danrickabus.bandcamp.com. Dot com. You can also find links to all of his his things um, and some stuff that we had come up during our talk at the U Podcast page on the grcm.org website. And uh, thank you again for tuning in. Thank you so much, Dan, for taking the time to sit down with me. And without any further ado, here's my talk with Dan. Ortonville, Michigan, which uh, if any listeners out there who are Michiganders ever went to the venue Pine Knob, oh, which okay, is yeah. like, yeah, it's like I grew up right on the border between two towns called Ortonville and Clarkston in the country <laughs> um, on a six acre place with a pond in the front yard and a pond in the backyard. That's so very, cool. Very lucky. Um, so lots of adventuring outside and yeah. also lots of going to concerts for $5 with $5 <laughs> I vouchers. was just going to ask, did you get like deals for being that close to Pine Knob? Well, there was a grocery store that had like five hour or uh, sorry, $5 vouchers for oh, okay. certain so shows that were super shows. cheap. Gotcha. So like the Beach Boys that weren't actually the Beach Boys anymore. It was like two <laughs> of the members. Just go hang out at the lawn <laughs> like and find them. And parts of the Beach Boys. <laughs> yeah. Hootie and the Blowfish a couple times. Nice. Is it, do you have a favorite band that you saw or performer oh, that wow. you saw there? I've seen so many shows there. Um, I was in high school, especially I was really into Dave Matthews Band, and I saw them eight times there every time <laughs> they would come, which was every year. But They came that often? Wow, that... I mean, I guess, but I, I always think of like, you know, how often different groups come to Van Andel here and it's like once every couple of years, maybe. I mean, I have seen um, the Black Keys twice, so nice. I guess I kind of, you know, they do repeat I think I was there with you on one of say, them. Very possibly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we, um, uh, my first ever concert was the Bare Naked Ladies at... I love them Me too. so much. I still do. <laughs> Unironically, I still do. Yes, yes. Do you have a favorite Bare Naked Ladies song? Ooh, I do. It's Light Up light up My Room. Oh, nice. Um, I like that. I think that's from Stunt, the mm-hmm. album Stunt. I mm-hmm. love that album, and I just that's love... That's a good one. 
I, I was definitely drawn to like songs when I was younger that had like an ethereal quality to them. And I think that was like the only ethereal <laughs> Bare Naked Ladies song. Say, they are not uh, yeah. usually what I would think of as a word to describe them, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> totally. So did yeah. you also like get into playing music really early on because of the ability to go and experience it and things? Yeah, I yeah. did. Um, my intro to anything music ever was um, when I was... I always used to, in class in kindergarten and in, like, first and second grade, I always, I don't know how well this is going to turn out in the audio, but I always used to take <laughs> my hand on the corner of my desk and just, like, oh, do this. You're the most stereotypical drummer ever. Yes, yeah, okay. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and just yeah, constantly my, hitting everything. Exactly. Gotcha. I just okay. couldn't stop. <laughs> and, you know, obviously annoying my teachers. <laughs> but luckily I had great mentors and parents and teachers who funneled that energy into, you know, being like, we got to get this kid into percussion. Yeah. yeah. Um, but at age nine, my parents bought me a toy drum set and I used to put in my, I loved the TV show, the power Rangers. Uh-huh. And I used to put in my power Rangers soundtrack <laughs> cassette tape and just, and just play, drum along, just with play the power one Rangers. symbol along with the Power Rangers. <laughs> that was my beginnings. Amazing. Yeah, and then that's <laughs> fantastic. At twelve in fifth grade, I actually went into you know percussion and band. So, and then <laughs> from there it was official. But <laughs> there you go. So did you like march percussion as well, or just do like concert band? I did. I did yeah. all of them. I did concert band and wind ensemble and stuff. I also did jazz band. Um, and I did marching band. I was in drumline through mm-hmm. high school. I did all the plays and musicals. I was a, kind of obsessed. Um, <laughs> like um, playing in the pit, or did you actually sing, like perform in I musicals? I performed in, I played in the pit for um, for West Side Story mm-hmm. when I was either a freshman or a sophomore. And then I got interested in being in the musical, and I tried out for Les Miserables thinking that I would get like a side character and they gave me the lead, awesome. which was intense, <laughs> which was amazing. It was one of the most fun because my best friend, my two best friends were the lead villain and the like <laughs> Marius character, uh-huh. which is like the the second lead good guy. Uh-huh. And it was just so fun to practice That's that every so day. Cool. And, like, yeah, and it was just great. And I think like I learned an equal amount from stuff like concert band and, and mm-hmm. marching band where it was like, learning actual rudiments and music notation and stuff. I learned an equal amount from that as like playing in the jazz band and just like listening to the drummer who was a year older than me and being like, I wonder if I could do that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, No, I, I think the best thing I have ever done was getting involved in band and theater in like at a very young age, because like it transfers into skills that you don't even realize they needed so I was drum major my senior year oh that's awesome and I prior to that I mean not that I was ever like a ridiculously shy person but that puts you like you're in charge of things and you're a leader at that point and like that definitely changed my perception of what my skill set was and it's like no I can be in charge of a group and I can kind of rally people to do something and like I if I hadn't had that experience I don't know that i be doing like being on TV now (laughs) that I, when I have to do that, we're doing things like this, like where I have to actually have a voice (laughs) and have it be out there for people to see and hear. (laughs) And and it's, yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's it's so valuable too, (laughs) because you just learn so much about what it means to be part of a team. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like 
a team that's trying to achieve something, even if it might be creativity, which is, or like mm-hmm. music, which is mm-hmm. a little, you know, it's less, less concrete than like, we're all building a house. You right. Know? Like, <laughs> it's cool. It's I a little more I, abstract. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So did you, did you know then that you wanted to continue with music as you, when you got older or did that kind of yeah. just happen? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was funny because from age nine and, you know, around there, I started playing drums and I started being a hockey goalie. I was a goalie for <laughs> years and years and I loved that. And you I remember... You would fill the entire goal. <laughs> that makes sense now. Okay. Yeah, for those <laughs> listeners, I'm six foot five and a half. So, yes, I was the biggest yeah, goalie uh-huh. anyone had ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> so technique was easy because I could just lay down. No, <laughs> I did. I actually... Right. One of the things in hockey is they call it the five hole, which is the space between your legs. And I have mm-hmm. the worst five hole of any goalie. <laughs> and so many goals got let in that way. Oh, no. But yeah, so <laughs> I was a hockey player for so long. And I remember the the feeling of music being such a part of my hockey playing, being mm. like I'd listen to certain oh, songs that sure. would pump me up. Or like certain songs would come over the PA and I'd get all excited about them. And I had this set of music that I really liked and I really liked things that were unique about music. And then I remember um, in eighth grade, I was playing in the concert band and we played this piece called Vesuvius. And I remember getting the chills for the first time (laughs) to music. It's really cool that I have that memory because I was like, what is this feeling, you know? (laughs) So the fascination like amped up, ramped up there. Mm -hmm. And then the key decision was (laughs) um, my junior year, the tryouts for Les Miserables were the same week as the hockey tryouts for the oh, fall season. So you had to pick. I made the choice. I was yeah. like, okay, I'm going to uh-huh. put hockey away. And my parents were like, all the money we spent on <laughs> hockey gear. But I still do love to play pond hockey. But that was yeah, the yeah. moment I was like, I think like, creativity this is music. This is where this is going. Totally. Oh, I can see that. I remember playing, um, oh, no, I can't think of the actual name of the song. But there was this, I think I was in either ninth or 10th grade. I think it was 10th grade. And it was a song that was like a medley of kind of civil war era type songs. And there was a part, I had a duet. Um, so I played flute and piccolo Nice. and it was a duet with myself and a trumpet or no, it was a trio. Cause it was a trumpet and the tuba player and piccolo. It was really weird, Whoa. like little thing, but it was the same kind of like, it was this moment of like, this is exactly why I want to play these things. <laughs> like, yeah. like, this is why I want to do this stuff. Man. Yeah. So like those the magic things are, hits you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Those are, those are beautiful things. So, <laughs> so nice. other than drums, what else do you play? Yeah. Um, I say drums like that's all that, that percussion is. I know it's a lot more than that. No. <laughs> yes. I'm a drummer. That's, that's you know, true. It's a simple, yeah. Um, I, I always joke to people that I like, I hit things for a living. I right. hit circles that are made of wood (laughs) Uh, with things that are made of wood no I I think that music that magic in music is so cool because it just like beckons you to try to get your hands in all of it yeah and yes yeah Mm -hmm. like as soon as I was experiencing music I knew I wanted to experience more so early on I was a drummer but I had tons of guitar player friends and was in rock bands in high school and stuff 
and I wanted to learn a string instrument, but I had so many guitar player friends that were so good already that it made, <laughs> didn't make sense to me to like try to catch up yeah, to them. Yeah, and he's like, that's too intimidating. <laughs> yeah, and they were my friends, and I uh-huh. loved the way they played, so I was like, I want them to be the guitar player. Sure. Um, and then one day, my best friend Alex got a ukulele for Christmas, and I used to go over to his house a lot and play the ukulele, mm-hmm. so the ukulele <laughs> became like part of my, uh, just what I loved about music, and I ended up just experimenting at it for a long time. It ended up being a great songwriting tool for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and other than that, I sing. I sing harmony in my main band and then uh, lead in my solo project. And, um, yeah, I also am a hack at keyboards. <laughs> I know the keyboard you, because you, you, I learned. You try it, though? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh-huh. I, I know it because I learned xylophone and marimba in percussion. But the fingering, I'm still really mm. bad at. Yeah. But I love the different sounds and experimenting with the tones of different keyboards. So like it became big in my music, but I do play a little guitar. A lot of it's like in an open tuning, um, but I'm currently <laughs> working on my guitar stuff, but cause I'm usually just so deep in the world of drums and percussion, sure. that, but yeah, <laughs> that's kind of my musical zone. That's it. Okay. Now yeah. did you, um, after, so after high school, did you go to college with the idea of going into music I did okay yeah and there was a specific so around that same time that I quit hockey I can I came up with this idea and thought about it and like basically can ask my dad if if I could you know if if the two of us could build a recording studio space in my (laughs) unfinished basement and the deal was I could pay him back with studio sessions you know oh sure Mm -hmm. so we built this rudimentary, you know, recording studio, so if great. you could call it, you know, it was, it was a wonderful space. So for like, especially my senior year of high school, we had that space to record and I got so into that. And so I decided to go to college for sound design Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, to learn how to record music. And my intent was like, I was going to make my own albums of like my stuff, you know, <laughs> which was really fun a fun direction to go in because I was doing a lot of experimenting on my own. Sure. And then um, I ended up just being a part of so many other bands, which was cool. Um, And I didn't get back to actually doing my own stuff until recently, like Mm -hmm. whatever it would be like eight years later. Um, Because I had this great chemistry with with my band now Mm -hmm. that we just chased. Um, So anyway, (laughs) yeah, I went to college for sound design and I met the bass player in my band, The Crane Wives, Ben Zito, in a sound club. (laughs) <laughs> and then we each knew, like, I, you know, I knew Emily and Kate separately, mm-hmm. and then eventually it all just kind of coagulated. And we actually started the band the year I graduated, so it was, like, oh, okay. after so college. Like but towards, we yeah, all knew okay. each other from college, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's kind of how that happened. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I think Good the stuff. first time I remember hearing the Green Rise, um was at um, Wealthy Theater, for oh, yeah. a dance, like dance show, the like annex. the dance in the annex thing, but I have a friend who I think was, I think that one of their friends was either Emily or Kate's roommate once upon a time, oh, nice. and so they were like, yeah, they've been around for a while. Like, where have you been? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't no, listen. Oh, <laughs> Apparently, I'm not in the local music scene. <laughs> They're like, oh yeah, it's just Kate and Emily's band, whatever. <laughs> I just thought it was really funny. <laughs> yeah, we still feel yeah. like small fries, so it's just. <laughs> We're just trying to make it work, you know? <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. So in addition to all of the music, because I know like anyone who goes into either 
music, whether it's for music education or performance or design, like that's a million classes. What other kinds of classes did you like find yourself really drawn to? Oh man. Well, uh, you know, I had my sound design classes and that was like kind of my major, but I almost had a philosophy minor. Okay. If uh-huh. I, I would have had to do an entire extra semester to get one final class to have the minor. So, <laughs> you know, didn't you really make there. sense. Uh-huh. I know, but the two <laughs> classes that like honestly changed my life were um, Eastern philosophy, which was like a um, kind of a three-part class, one part being Confucianism, the next part mm-hmm. being Taoism, the next part being Buddhism. That really changed my life. And then I took a class that um, was called, I think it was, it was basically like a communications, um, what's the word? It's like a, a class you have to take before the end. Oh, like a that thing gen ed kind of yeah, like a thing or like a requirement. Yeah, anyway, yeah. It, was requ- it was like a, Just a way to fill it. Yeah. Anyway, this professor was in there and it was called communication theory, but it would, could be better explained by being called like philosophy of communication. Mm-hmm. And this professor... I know this class, yes. You do? <laughs> yep. Nice. Uh, this professor named Corey Anton, is that someone you knew I don't think or? that that's who I had. Nice. Um, to, uh, I, if, I was there before you were, so yeah. it's a while ago. Capstone is the word I was oh, looking there, for. Yeah, yeah okay. communication's yeah. capstone. Mm-hmm. And um, this professor, Corey Anton, and the material he was drawing from just totally changed my whole deal, and it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, those classes, like... Getting into uh-huh. that kind of stuff is where I was headed elsewhere. That's cool. I remember, um, so I started school in a really small college in Green Bay, oh, okay. St. Norbert College. And one of the requirements there is like you have to, in your first two years, you have to take a theology type related course, but it could be any type of religiously affiliated thing. So I took one that was just like intro to world religions. And so it was like one week we were talking about Hinduism and the next week was Judaism. And the next week, you know, it just like went through all of these things. And it was one of those, like just opened up my eyes. (laughs) Like, this is so cool. And that was one of the best classes I ever took (laughs) was, was that followed by a, uh, similar to like the philosophy of communication. I also had one that's philosophy of art. Nice. But it was really ended up being more about like why do we like things that make us scared? Whoa. <laughs> so That's it was really, really fascinating. fascinating. And it was like these are the coolest classes and I <laughs> like they're not actually counting towards things, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, if we could all just get paid to think. Right. You know? <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? I'd like be. that. Yeah. Yeah. I think our caps so I I transferred to Grand Valley mm-hmm. and the um the program that I transferred into is a liberal studies program, which oh, is basically, um, I like to refer to it as design your own degree and <laughs> because yeah. it's kind of like you take, you take the things that you, you know, have certain skill set in and you take the, what you'd like to do with it and you kind of create literally your own degree. So That's my awesome. degree is communication with the arts. Nice. And so through that, so our capstone was, the justification why that degree should exist. Wow, yeah. <laughs> Which is really cool, too. <laughs> it is. So that was my capstone. It was a 50-page thesis on why um, sending a message through untraditional means has a greater impact. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, man. So, like, art is supposed to cause a reaction. Exactly. Like, it's supposed yeah. to make... If it can make you smile or think or cry, then you'll remember it more yeah. than just reading something. 
Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So our, our deep philosophical moment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Getting deep with it. Yes. <laughs> so after you were done with school and stuff, did did you have to find other means of support or were you able to jump right into music as like a way to yeah. survive? It was an interesting <laughs> thing. I had an internship with a recording studio in college at River City Studios mm-hmm. in Grand Rapids. And that was just an internship for the summer. Then um, the next summer, the summer between junior and senior year of college, I interned at a place called Soundpost Studios, which is out near Cascade. Oh, and they okay. do more, um, they have corporate work and commercial work, and they do a lot of like independent films, oh, okay. um, mm-hmm. like fully sound design and yeah. stuff. I love that stuff. Yeah. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah, they do do music as well, and they're uh-huh. super professional. Um, and the guy there, Stuart Poltrock, kind of took me under his wing and taught me so much and gave gave me so many opportunities. Um, and so I was working there for a while, and eventually uh, he was just kind of running low on money, and if he was going to... They actually hired me on, mm-hmm. so I was working there for a while. And then the money situation kind of worked out in this way where he, the person that he was going to hire needed to have a specific skill set that sure. was way more technical than where I was at. <laughs> I was like, the, I was like, I have all these ideas and this creativity uh-huh. and this fun stuff. And he's like, yeah, I need someone who can navigate Excel like fast. You uh-huh. know? Yeah. And it just kind of became this, it was this great conversation about like, you know, I, I want you to keep your studio key. I want you around, but I need to hire somebody else that is this right. other position, right? So what was cool about that is I kept my relationship going with them and I would get called in to do drumming and different projects mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And then the main positive was that was around the same time that uh, I was starting the Crane Wives and we ended up making a deal with Stuart to have us uh, in the studio every Sunday night because they don't use it on Sundays. It. You know, it's well, a nine perfect. to five business. Yeah. Uh-huh. So we recorded our first album there on Sunday nights um, and... You know, I worked all sorts of jobs, and then, you know, the Crane Wives kind of started. For the first two or three years, we all had day jobs. I worked mm-hmm. construction, um, <laughs> you know, doing manual labor for about a year, you know, um, learning carpentry and stuff. And then, yeah, I've done all sorts of different little jobs. For a long time, I edited audiobooks from the company really? Brilliance Audio. Interesting. So, okay. yeah, like, my friend Chris, <laughs> who would work at the company, would bring me a box and in the box would be the script of the book that the narrator had to read mm-hmm. and I had to listen through the narration and the you know the script would be uh marked so basically the recording engineer while they were recording it was marking every time that the the person made some kind of oh mistake sure sure or a mouth sound or you know so I would go through and listen to hours and hours of these audiobooks and clean up all of like the <sighs> you know and like the <laughs> <laughs> it's you know, great That's so funny. but it was really tedious work but I liked it a lot um, yeah and I did so I did that for a long time which was contract work and then eventually um the band became enough of a monetary mm-hmm. thing um, that, because you guys are awesome oh, yes <laughs> we started touring a bunch we bought a van and started touring around the country and so I've, I only had a little bit of time though where I didn't have a, another source of income yeah because that's kind of the way that art, in my you know experience, has worked. Is like, you have the thing that is your art, and it's making you money, 
but you have to have side hustles right. because <laughs> in order to really eat and like, mm-hmm. you know, um, through all this time, the exact same month that the crane wives started, I also met my partner. And so, you know, she and I got married and bought a house and got a dog. <laughs> so, you know, with all like, the adult things. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like keeping, you know, just doing a million things that are not adult to bring in money <laughs> for my adult life is kind of the way I go. So mm-hmm. lots of side hustles. Yeah. yeah. So now you've bought a house over here. Do you have any dreams of ever going back to like, you know, the six acres with the two ponds over? Oh, well, <laughs> you know, my, my family was, sold that place. Oh, did they? Oh, okay. Yeah. And that was, that, that, was, that makes your answer for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I have a deep, deep connection with that place. And sure. I really just have a deep connection with my memories it was kind of sad for me when they sold it, but as the type of feeling of like, I love them so much and I want them to just, you know, do whatever makes them yeah. happy. And I have the memories of it and that's beautiful. And, but I do have the desire to go back to the country in general. Sure. And Alex and I have a strong desire to eventually move out to the country where we can like just go for a hike right out of our back door. Right. Yeah. Don't have so, to drive somewhere to then yeah. take that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I used to have, you know, six acres to run around with my brother right. and play swords mm-hmm. and all sorts of stuff. So <laughs> I, I miss, you know, I go on hikes weekly with my dog and stuff, but mm-hmm. I miss just being able to like walk out the back door. And That's it. So my family's up in Traverse City oh. and we live up on top of this hill and on the backside is a, one, one of the smaller like lakes, um, Cedar Lake. And it's one of the like, I could just walk down the hill and granted it's a really long hill, but it's like 10 minutes and I'm in the water. Yeah. Now I have to drive 20 minutes to get to the lake. It's right. weird. And it's like, uh, I don't go as well. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's not the same. And I have to get in the car first and then I have to dry off entirely before I get back in the car. Right. Right. It feels weird. <laughs> and yeah. So yeah, we just bought kayaks for Christmas. And so oh. this is our now thing is like finding all of the little places around here that we can go. I'm like, maybe this will make me feel better. So awesome. <laughs> feel more connected to that again. Absolutely. <laughs> and you guys, do you guys live yeah. in the city? So we technically are in Walker. So we're like 12 minutes from here. Nice. Um, for those, we're recording at the museum in downtown. So 12 yeah. minutes from downtown. <laughs> um, but we, um, our neighborhood butts up to the back part of Blandford Nature Center's oh, property. Gorgeous. So that's like, that's where I walk my dog is like, go there (laughs) it's this huge trail and um so i i still feel like we're not in the city but literally 10 minutes and i am so it's like if i need to be in here or you know i like being so close to things going on because we go to a lot of shows we you know we're both really involved in a lot of theater things and so like to be able to come and not have to like plan an entire night to have to like, yeah. you know, travel in, to and from and things. It's like, eh, it's just down the road. It's fine. Totally. <laughs> like, so, nice. so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've always liked that about Grand Rapids, how everything's, you know, as soon as you uh-huh. get out of the city, it's like, Oh, it's not that far it, to Kirk park or right. You know. Yeah. It, it doesn't, it seems like it's far, but it's not far. Like at the same time, you know, like, yeah. um, even like going to Grand Valley, like that feels like that's so far away. Like Allendale is a million miles from here. It feels like, yeah. so, but really it's not, it's just down this one road. Like, yeah. You don't even have to turn. <laughs> it feels like it's a million miles away when you're yeah. there. And like, like it's this whole other world, but yeah. it's not that far. So you can very easily get back and like, you know, be involved in things or like we honestly, will just come and walk around downtown just yeah. for something to do. And it's like, you know, we don't, 
<laughs> we don't really have to make a whole like plan to do that. We just decide, right. eh, let's just walk around. So, nice. Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> it is. So, so do you have a, it's a two-part question. Mm-hmm. Right? Do you have a favorite song to play slash do you have a favorite song to listen to? It's just like, oh. I know. It's like um, asking you to pick your favorite child. I know. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's like asking a... Sh- yeah. Okay. So let's see. Okay. So for the sake of the question, I'll choose one. But I know that later I'm going to be You're like, gonna change what your about answer. this one? I mean, yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Wow. Um, so I absolutely love playing with my main project, The Crane Wives. Um, and man, I could say... I could probably choose like six or seven of our songs, especially like our new ones are feeling so uh-huh. we're so inspired these days. And like, I feel like we're reaching this place where I am so excited to listen to our stuff that That's we're making, awesome. which is yeah. a really cool feeling. Cause most mm-hmm. of the time when you hear yourself back, you're like, ah, oh, I, I really <laughs> messed this up. Or like for me, it's like, no, the tempo's rushing. I know yeah. it's rushing or whatever. Yeah. But anyway, I think just for the sake of the feeling of right now, I'm going to go with, I am involved with this side project that is a a band called Public Access. Mm -hmm. And I'm the drummer. There's a bass player, keyboard player, guy who plays samples, and then there are eight guitar players. Wow. And there's so much energy. (laughs) That's such an amazing group. (laughs) It's so loud. It's so loud. And it's like instrumental space rock funk. And I would have to choose um, from our first album... We have songs that, that, they're all instrumental, so they're not about anything. So the uh-huh. titles of the songs for the first album are all named after people that are on public radio. <laughs> so we have this song called Yuki Noguchi, and it's just so fun to play because it's just this funky beat. And um, Ben from the Crane Wives is the bass player in that band. And recently, um, at our last show, we got Kate Pillsbury <laughs> to join the band too. And it was just so, there was so much energy in the room and... It's just like this one awesome riff that's over so cool. and over. And so that's a really, I would have to choose that yeah. as maybe favorite to play. But like I said, I, I get to be involved with a lot I'll of great say, projects. Yeah, you, you do a lot of things. So. Yeah, it's really fun. As a drummer, you can kind of mm-hmm. help all over the place. Um, and then song to listen to is just going to kill me. I know I'm going to say something and be like, but what about? But, all right, I, I will extend that. How about uh, top five? Ooh, okay. okay. That makes it a little right, easier. Cool. <laughs> Top five, I'm going to choose this song by George Harrison uh, called The Inner Light. And I'm going to choose the performance that was on the year anniversary of him passing away. They did a thing oh. called Concert for George. Uh-huh. And Jeff Lynne sang that song with like Ravi Shankar's orchestra behind him. <laughs> so that's one of my favorite all-time recordings. Another one is a song by Radiohead called Pyramid Song. Um, I actually would also put another Radiohead song in there called Weird Fishes. Um, another top five song. Wow, this is... Man. <laughs> There's a Fleet Foxes song called Drops in the River that would go in there. It's kind of this like, like bulk <laughs> mantra, powerful droney okay. song. It's just so har- beautiful harmonies. Man, I'd say another... another uh, I like a lot of kind of... Um, like minimalist music and um, like uh, different sounding stuff. There's a, a folk musician who's not really in the lines of folk, but he's from Michigan. His name's Sufjan Stevens, if you know him. Uh-huh, um, yeah. 
he's got this piece that's just a little two-minute piece, and it's called Tequamanon Falls. Mm-hmm. And I listen to it, like, almost every day. It's just, like, two and a half minutes of vibraphones. <laughs> it's probably, like, eight tracks of vibraphone. Interesting. And it's just this beautiful feeling that it creates, uh-huh. right? Like you were talking about with <laughs> yeah, art. Yeah, like you just, like, feel that. Yeah. Sometimes mm-hmm. words can't describe what you're trying yes. to convey. And that song, for sure. So I think I'm at four now. And the fifth one I'll go with is this piece. I'm really into um, film score music as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I love classical and orchestral music but i feel like like music that is composed for films it's is, it's different it's so it's like yes. and it's not appreciated outside of the films as much but if you just put on some of these <laughs> score pieces you and Linnell should have an entire conversation should about we? this. Oh my gosh. Oh, part is, two is. Oh, yes. It's just Linnell the two of you it. talking about <laughs> scores. Yeah. Oh, well, man. I'll ask you questions about that too. Continue. Yes. Which one is your Well, <laughs> I love the whole Lord of the Rings score, but mm-hmm. I will I'll just say that the film Road to Perdition has this fantastic score. Mm-hmm. And there's I a. I don't know that one. The movie is great, but it's not really one of my favorite movies, but it's just one of my all time favorite scores. Is, is, yeah. yeah, and there's this like. There's this piece called Road to Chicago that uses like two dueling like Yulian pipes. It's very Celtic okay. sounding. That's cool. Oh, so yeah. I don't know. That's my top five for this moment right now. I like it. There are about twenty pieces that are contending. <laughs> so <laughs> they're they're all battling in there. Yeah. Yeah. No, we um, we are huge fans of Hans Zimmer. Yeah. So we follow yes. him and everything that he does. Oh. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and all of his music. Um, but uh, for a while, I think I'd mentioned earlier, like she was working in Lansing and she said to like kind of get herself into work mode. She would just listen to the Gladiator soundtrack oh, all the way yes. there. <laughs> there's some, yes, there's some amazing stuff so, in that score. Yes, yes. And um, like there are certain songs that even though like, you know, for instance, she listens to the Star Wars soundtrack over and over again nice. because it's beautiful yeah. and there are certain pieces that like will almost bring her to tears just because of like and no words or anything like yeah. you know or not even like thinking of what part of is happening in the movie just that the music itself is like that beautiful and like, i love it yeah <laughs> i mean like even without knowing the story of han and leia if you hear yeah. the theme which is like you that, can kind of pick up you're like oh uh-huh. I yes. can feel that. That's awesome to know yeah. that. Yes. We yes. got to have a second podcast. I think now. so. I think <laughs> we'll just have that as a whole separate thing. <laughs> awesome. Picking your favorite uh, soundtracks. <laughs> <laughs> nice. See, and I grew up on musicals. Yeah. So I am very much more in the like, and, and in the very traditional kind of like Broadway shows. I think nice. so. I instantly go to like okay but what's the action behind <laughs> like what's right. happening on stage while this is playing or um like i try to make just conversations into <laughs> songs yeah. and stuff so it's kind of an interesting like yeah whenever we go on road trips like figuring out what we're listening to is very interesting yeah. <laughs> yeah. at the same time then like she's also super like diehard black keys fan so oh. you know that's kind of the uh, not end of the of the spectrum but different yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> very yeah. different kind of <laughs> right so it's interesting because like yeah. a musical will have a literal story mm-hmm. you know you're actually characters in a story but with the black keys and like blues and stuff it's always kind of like a character in a story yes. you know yeah um even if it's not even if it's like not explained 
or kind of purposefully not explained. Mm-hmm. I can definitely see a it's link there. Good. There's there's links. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have a friend who um, I, I use friendless. It's someone I knew a long time ago. I have not talked to in like almost twenty years. So, but we'll still call her a friend. But her dream job was to be someone who picked out music for not to compose it but like picked out the songs that go into movie scenes and stuff and so her entire cd collection was mostly like singles or like or soundtracks because it was already like a mix of things because like she would just kind of put these playlists together basically and i don't know like i i now i'm gonna have to find her and see if that ever (laughs) became something because that's an interesting like hobby to have i guess yeah (laughs) like i'm just gonna make soundtracks all right cool (laughs) yeah i can i can honestly relate like one of my things that i have done for a long time is just making mix cds and i'll either do them for myself Uh or for people as gifts like mixtapes you know yeah but it actually ended up be weirdly becoming part of like almost like part of my creative process. And in 2011, I started doing this thing that I call it's a really cheesy name, but it's called Echoes of and then the year. And okay. I make a yearly mix and I, I usually burn it for friends and family just so they can have it. But it's supposed to be like a time capsule of like Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Like the songs I liked that year, but also like songs that weren't necessarily from that year that might describe how I was feeling through the year or like sure. what it was like to live it. I think that could be a really <laughs> cool practice for that, people to yeah, have. Yeah, that would be, that's really cool. There is someone who does like a mashup kind of mix of all of the like top 10 or top 40, whatever songs uh-huh. of the year. And there are some years where it's like, yeah, this year was really exciting and there's a lot of stuff. And then other years are like, why is everything so depressing? This is the most, like, <laughs> this is the saddest. Balance, it's like, why know? is this the saddest song I've ever heard? <laughs> it's, yeah, kind of funny. Wow. <laughs> How we can capture those things. Like, yeah, you know, that, that really set the tone for what was going on. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So other than all of the musical adventures that you have, what what do you do for fun? Well, um, yeah, I love to go hiking with my dog and, and, uh, my partner Alex and, um, love to be in nature and, uh, yeah, playing music and creative music is obviously a big part <laughs> of in the line between fun and sure. business sure. blurs. Um, <laughs> but I love to just spend time with my friends. I, I just love people. Um, I love deep conversation and as we have dipped into, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love um, to read anything that'll make me think. Um, yeah, I've, I've been really kind of diving into history and kind of like social issues through history. Oh, okay. So I love to read about that. So do you have a specific period that you are most interested in um, or, or most recently interested in, I guess? <laughs> yeah, I guess I've just been reading and watching a lot about the civil rights movement. Mm. Um, it's just, you know, I, I think I kind of go in tangents where I'm like teaching myself about like trying to, <laughs> there's this great quote um, to get deep as again. <laughs> there's this great quote from Grace Lee Boggs, who was a, um activist from Detroit. And she says, it's not only that we have to grow our souls for our own sake, but for the better betterment of, mm. of everything for the world and humanity and stuff. And so I'm, I'm always trying to do some like personal growth through reading and learning mm-hmm. and not to like write a paper or something, but so that yeah, that knowledge to... and that feeling is within me so that I can help with the issues when uh-huh. they're in my life, you know? 
Um, I don't know. That's something. <laughs> but <laughs> lots, I mean, lots, lots of stuff for fun. I love hanging out with my family and uh, um, get creative in any way. Sit around and draw. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's stuff I'm missing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nature and just yeah. nature and things. And uh, nature and yeah. music and. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I used to be really into drawing. Yeah. I, 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 that's one thing I should really get back into. <laughs> and it's been a long time since I just sat down and tried to draw something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you ever seen those books? Um, I have one at home. It's, it's like a little, it's like the size of like a notepad, basically. Mm-hmm. But it's um, like drawing prompts. And so like on one page, it's like draw something with a button. And then the next page is like draw something that's in the room, and so it's it's not necessarily like getting you to like draw a masterpiece or like you know paint a <laughs> landscape. It's like you know just the act of drawing just for the sake of doing it, and yeah. it's kind of like it's almost like doodling, but like directed doodling. Right, that's awesome. <laughs> I think so I think I just got it like Barnes and Noble or something, but nice. it's yeah, kind of a fun like little book to go through if you're just like I. I, I myself am not what I would say as an, a drawer by any means, uh-huh. say, but I do paint and I do some artsy things. And so it's kind of one of those like, well, I can kind of keep on top of these skills yeah. <laughs> if I at least. But on the other side of it, it's like something that, you know, if you're going, again, very philosophical, the whole idea of like play is just doing something for the sake of doing it. Yeah that's a way to play because there's not really like it's not for a project it's not a commission piece it's not like it's going into you know a art gallery <laughs> showcase of yeah. any kind it's just to do it and so absolutely kind of yeah. i think that's super important um i think you have a question about a book we read i that, do have yeah. one coming up <laughs> is it cool if i segue absolutely <laughs> so see what is your recommended reading <laughs> yeah recommended reading ties right into this uh-huh. so um i think it's really important especially when your art is your living, kind of mm. like mine is. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like I work at the Children's Museum. I teach lessons. I do all these other things to bring in money, but my main income is just being in a band. Mm-hmm. And so when that gets tied in, when you're writing a song, there's so many things that you might think about, like whether it's how is the audience going to receive this? Mm-hmm. Are my bandmates going to like playing it? What are people going to think it means? And all that can get in your way when you're trying to write the song and yeah. kind of like over make you overthink. And so I think it's really important to have parts of your creative practice that are totally free. And um, one thing that I have done and still do is like take an audio program. And for example, I'll take my keyboard that I have, which has a bunch of sounds on it. And I'll say to myself, okay, it's, it's, 9 p.m. by midnight, I have to have an instrumental song oh, done. Okay. Uh-huh. And I'll just like layer keyboard sounds for three <laughs> hours and then try to mix it as I'm going. And then at the end, it's like, well, this is cool. You know, even if it turns out not, you know, not great, it's just having done something mm-hmm. and giving yourself this limit of like doing it. So that segues into this book I just recently read, which is called Steal Like an Artist. And the idea being not to steal, literally, <laughs> but the whole uh-huh. concept of the book was so, like, reading it was so, like, freeing and, like, <laughs> affirming to me. Because uh-huh. the idea being um, not to steal or rip off, 
but that originality is just a matter of how well you blend the stuff that you love. Sure, sure. And it was teaching this idea of like, obviously don't rip things off, but basically more or less like tastefully rip off 16 things that you like and turn them into one song, you know? Okay. Kind of this uh-huh. idea of like, and another, another concept that was in the book and the, the whole book just felt so good to me after it was a very short book and I just blew through it and like, <laughs> it was like, man, it's really, really great. And it gave me this feeling of like, it's okay to not be this incredibly original like, it's okay that what you're doing sounds like the things that you love because that's all originality is anyway. Sure, sure. And it kind of brought about this idea of learning about the people that you love. For example, I mentioned I love Radiohead. Well, instead of, like, ripping off a Radiohead song, learning about where what Radiohead got influenced by and what influenced that person. So Tom York from Radiohead's really influenced by Neil Young. So studying Neil Young, well, where did Neil Young come from? And like digging back into history and instead of, of, of just stealing what the other artists that you love do, learn to teach your, like teach yourself how to learn to think like them. You know what I mean? Sure. Like think yeah, like yeah. your heroes through study. And so it was really cool. It was like, really cool. it's yeah. just a, a matter of rules of like, you can't just take the drum beat and the chord progression and the, the vocal melody and the kind of lyrical style from one song. Mm-hmm. But if you take a drum beat that's influenced by two songs, it's a mix of two different drum beats, take a chord progression that's, you know, and is inspired by three different or, you know, three different songs that have this type of chord progression, you know, then maybe your melody is influenced by mixing two of your favorite singers together, you know. By the time you've mashed it all up, it's original, you know? So anyway, that that book made me feel so free because it was like, wow, it took the pressure off of being like having your creativity. Like everything has to be brand new. Exactly, because nothing is new because we're only an amalgamation of the things that are around (laughs) us, you know? Right. Everything's inspired by everything. Totally. (laughs) Kind of idea. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the book I would recommend. All right. Excellent. (laughs) All right. Well, then here's the other question that I always ask. All right. And you probably have been asked this being at the museum, but um, I don't know that I know your answer. So it's very exciting. So um, for those listening, a question that we ask everyone at the museum, whether you're a volunteer or uh, interviewing for a position, or um, I've asked um, all of my interns this and just general people who are here. In a battle royale between Pegasus and Unicorn, (laughs) who emerges victoriously, why, and what kind of scenario are they in? Oh, man. So I add to it. Ooh, I like that. (laughs) Okay, so I remember being asked this. Uh Uh-huh, because we do it all the time. (laughs) Yeah. And it was funny because I had this feeling of, like, the unicorn itself is supposed to be like this uncatchable thing. Mm. And for some reason in my mind, unicorns have always been solitary. Like there's one. Mm -hmm. And so my thought was that there would be like a bunch of pegasi, (laughs) but they also (laughs) have the high ground because they can fly. fly. Mm -hmm. And I felt like if I had to choose a side to fight on, that I wanted to be (laughs) on the side of the unicorn because the unicorn was by themselves, you know? So I remember choosing Unicorn and thinking also that I guess they would triumph because the Pegasi were coming from above and the Mm. Unicorn's horn is on top of its head. 
okay. So, <laughs> so it's it got like, the yeah. advantage of being already high. All right. Right. All right. That's right. But <laughs> it was, I just have to say, like, so I would go with unicorn, but it's a tough call. And only if the parameter is the unicorn's by himself mm, or okay. herself. Okay. Because I'm not sure if that's the case. If it's an army of both, I really don't know. <laughs> it's a hard choice. Well, and that's why I say I always add the you get to pick that scenario. Oh, so okay. you get to like because I feel like when you ask that question, the person that you're asking immediately has an image in their head yeah. of where where they are. Are they inside? Are they outside? Are they in the forest or in the meadow? Like <laughs> are they? <laughs> I had <laughs> what was really great. I had a couple of years ago. Um, I had an intern who, you know, asked that question, and I don't remember his, ini- um, no, he told me Pegasus, I think, initially. And then, like, two months into his internship, he very seriously, out of nowhere, turns around, and he's like, I think I changed my answer. Oh. And I'm like, I, to what? I don't know what you're talking about. Like, it's completely out of context. I don't know. Yeah. And he's like, it depends if they're inside or outside. Oh. <laughs> and so that's where I went, well, how did you envision it when I first asked that question? Because the that does it does change, you know, oh, wow. it, or it can drastically affect that because if a Pegasus can't fly away, <laughs> right? <laughs> but if it can, Whoa, it, <laughs> it makes <laughs> makes big difference. Like wow, that you gave this a lot of thought. I yeah. appreciate that. <laughs> and now that you mentioned it, I was imagining a singular unicorn uh-huh. against like five Pegasi in a field. See, you had a very specific vision yeah. when I say that. That's wild. <laughs> well, I just have to say the funniest thing is that my wife worked here before I did. Mm-hmm. And I remember her telling me about this. And she <laughs> is so kind hearted that she was like, well, I would just try to help them figure out the common ground and try to help them become friends. See, yeah. Mm-hmm. And everybody at the museum is also kind hearted, but they were like, don't you think it'd be fun to pick one? And she was like, I just want them to get along. That is fair. We do have a few people who are like, I don't want to. So yeah. I've also have rephrased it and it can actually be a battle or it could be a really intense game of chess. No. So it's, it's up to you to decide what they're doing. I just love imagining so, the two of them pushing chess I know, pieces pushing little around pieces around. It would <laughs> be pretty great. Yep. Wow. Yep. They're both so mystical. I feel like they both have this mystical intelligence. You know. So I don't know in chess. Here. You'd have to ask facilitator Alex <laughs> Walsh, who's been playing chess every day for like the last really? two or three months. Okay, I will, I will yeah. ask him. <laughs> he recently compared chess to boxing in the dark, which I thought was cool. That's an interesting analogy. <laughs> okay, all right, cool. Have to get Alex on the podcast. And <laughs> all ask right, him. I will have to just have to ask about that. We'll just only talk <laughs> yeah, about that. <laughs> it's a whole hour long podcast. <laughs> nice. Well, as we start wrapping up here, is there any like anything you want to plug? Any shows coming up? Any CDs? Oh, maybe. Well, <laughs> um, find the Crane Wives online. We're playing all over Michigan and all over the Midwest all the time, and then we frequently go on um, national tours. We have uh, coming up in June. We're going to be down in Texas for the first time. Where in Texas are you? Uh, Kerrville Music Festival uh, in Kerrville, Texas. Yep, I went to camp. You in did? <laughs> yes, Whoa, I did. It's very world. hilly. So is it? Okay. <laughs> nice. It's actually it actually is pretty nice. Um, that whole like San Antonio Austin like kind of that oh. middle section. I um lived in Houston until I was oh, like okay. twelve, and then we lived up by Dallas for four years before we oh, moved wow. up to Traverse City. So I gotcha. Texas. 
Texas things in my I heart. didn't know about you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yes. So that's why I like if um if I get asked the like, so where's hometown or like where'd you go? I'm like, well, Traverse City by way of yeah, Texas. Traverse because City via Texas. Texas is I mean, that's that's where I really grew up. But we would come up north because my mom's family was up there. So we would come up north every summer. So like I spent all of my summers uh, up in Traverse City. But like my like growing up years, like in school and stuff, was in Texas until I was fifteen. Nice. So <laughs> oh, summers in Traverse City sounds so they're nice. They're fantastic. They're oh. wonderful. And if you uh, have any free time, you should go there. Nice. <laughs> well, swinging it back, Kramer's playing Traverse City a lot. That's true. You do. <laughs> Check us out up there. We're doing an east east like a New England tour of colleges in April. That'll be cool. Oh, that's so if cool. you go to college in the east zone. <laughs> We'll be there. Find you. (laughs) Yeah. So look up the Crane Wives. Another thing is on March 22nd, um, I have a big 10 piece band playing uh, my recent, uh, it's hard to call it a solo record because it was such a collaboration. (laughs) Right. This big, massive collaboration, but it was kind of my vision. So we call it that. But anyway, um, we are doing a planetarium show at the Grand Rapids Public Museum. Mm -hmm. March 22nd. Tickets are on sale now. That's going to be very fun. Um, 10-piece band of all my dearest friends playing this album, which is about space, mm-hmm. front to back <laughs> in the planetarium. So that's kind of the thing that's I would so plug. Cool. That's awesome. <laughs> and come to the Children's Museum with your kids. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, excellent. All right, well, thank Super you so amazing. much for, for joining me. Thank you, Adrian. Thank me. you so much for inviting me and for the <laughs> rich conversation. And thanks for everything you do at the museum. And yeah. Thanks. Cool.